asked me, were we having church tonight with the Super Bowl? Please repent. <laughs> Our focus this day will be on verses 6 through 12, but in the context of verses 1 through 19. Let's read the word of the Lord and pray that he will instruct us. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning at verse 1 through 19. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. One who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks with a tongue edifies himself. But one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more than more that you would prophesy. The greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in a tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either a flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces a distinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will you, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking in the air. There are perhaps many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of a language, I will speak to one who speaks as a barbarian, and one who speaks will be as a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving thanks since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words with a tongue. Father, help us to hear. Father, help us to understand that you wish your people not to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Father, help us to hear what your word says. Help us to understand what you have given us and you have graced us with. And Father, may we desire to walk in a manner worthy. And Father, may we walk to edify the saints that you have called to your glory and praise. Amen. We are looking at what I call the importance of the gift of tongues. We will look at the intent of the gift of tongues and the instructions for the gift of tongues. But right now we're in the middle of looking at the importance of this gift. And, and I have shown you that the importance of this gift in the first five, ver five verses is that it is secondary. It is a secondary gift. And the reason that it is secondary is that it is not for the whole. It is not for the body. It is not for believers. 
We have looked at this uh, in depth and he's coming out of chapter 13, 13 and he give us a definition, a design, a description of what love is. And he says, you need to pursue love because in chapter 12, he says, I want to show you a more excellent way. What is the more excellent way? The pursuit of love. Why? Because in the pursuit of love, you will have this overwhelming desire to edify the body of Christ. That is the key. The edification of the saints for the work of ministry, Paul told the church in Ephesus. And, and I see this today has been corrupted in, in the body of Christ, uh, whether it is in the experiential church or the liturgical church. Either one of them have lost what love is and they come to seek their own. This is for me. And we see it broken down here. Probably the single greatest statement in this whole of text is love does not seek its own verse five, chapter 13. And yet you've already looked at this book at length. And we have seen that this is a very self-centered group of people. He said, for one who speaks in a tongue, don't speak to men, but to a God. There's no definite article in there. It should be small because a a small God, uh, it would be this ecstatic movement, this ecstatic babble that people believe that they would step into a spiritual realm and would be able to converse with a God. They had no idea what they were saying. But they were talking this deity's language and they would speak mysteries. And it was worn as a badge of honor. I am spiritual. Look how spiritual I am. You see it today, brothers and sisters. You know the tragedy with this text is? For 2,000 years, there was no speaking in tongues. There wasn't even an issue with this. It is obvious there is a gift of tongues in chapter 1, verse 7. He says, you are lacking in no gifts. You have all the gifts, even the gift of languages. And then in the early 1900s, some lady in Topeka began some gibberish and everybody says, look at what we've got. And at first it was just what they call the holy rollers and the snake handlers. And now it's across the board. And it is worn as a badge of honor. Look how spiritual I am. And he says, but you know what? When you speak in a tongue, you are of no benefit. It is not for the body of Christ. Did you know that the gift of tongues is not even for a lost? Because the gift of languages is that if you were Ethiopian, all of a sudden I could preach the gospel in your language and you would hear me and you would understand. Listen, if I've got the gospel and you don't understand English, I am absolutely no benefit to you. Not only that, if you're saved and I'm not speaking your language, how am I going to help you? And that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at right now. He says, you've got people who are wrapped up in themselves in such a way that they have counterfeited even the true gift. Listen, one of the things that I've learned is it is dangerous to seek something God isn't giving And I see people out there today who are seeking things that God isn't given. And one of them is this quote-unquote gift of languages. You know, there's an interesting word study. If you wanted to do a word study, I'm just going to give you this. I'm not going to go through all the nuances of it. But if you go through these first 19 verses, you're going to see the Apostle Paul uses two terms. One is plural, one is singular. One is the word tongue, and one is the word Tongues. If you go through it and look at the context of it, you will see that when he uses the word tongues, he's speaking to multiple languages. There's, uh, I read a survey that says that there's probably about 3,500 languages on the planet Earth right now. And I know one of them, <laughs> sort of. All right. But when he uses the gift of, he uses the singular, it would be gibberish because there's only going to be one gibberish. It may sound different, but it's always one. But the gift of languages are plural. That's just an interesting sidebar I thought you might be interested in. I have a motive in this text. I'm sorry. People say, well, you know, you're not supposed to bring yourself into the text. My motive comes out of chapter 1, verse 1. 
I do not want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Okay, and yet I can look at chapter 14 and I see another manifestation of the Corinthian carnality, the flesh. God started a new movement at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Why? And he cleared up something that he had done in Genesis chapter 11 when he confused men's languages. And he says, let me show you what I'm doing. I will come into your realm, into your natural order, into your society. I will clear out the confusion and I will prove that I am there and I will bring you revelation. I will reveal myself to you. And it is the ability to speak a foreign language. It is the ability to speak a foreign language that you do not know. When I am in Russia, I have a couple of different interpreters. And it's funny because when I first get there, and I start dialoguing with my interpreter, their English is very rusty. And as we spend time, we usually try to spend an afternoon together before I start teaching because I want them to get up to speed and me to get up to speed learning how to, to teach with an interpreter. And it, teaching with an interpreter is very difficult. It usually takes twice as long to get the same point across. Okay, and the reason is this. I have to take pauses so that he can interpret or she can interpret. But I have to spend some time with them so that they can get their English back up to running and, and start. And he, uh, Misha is one that told me this. He says, I have to start thinking English because I'm always thinking Russian. And I said, I never think Russian, so I'm in. All right. But Misha went to school to learn English. The gift of tongues is a supernatural ability to speak a language that you never learned. And even with the true gift, like I said in chapter 1, verse 7, it can be used wrong. It can be used to show off. It can be used to immerse your selfishness. It can be used to puff yourself up. You know, the Apostle Paul was given a messenger from Satan so that he would not get his ego in the way. Have you ever thought about that? You know what a messenger from Satan is, right? That's a demon. God put a demon in Paul's life so he wouldn't be puffed up. So you know what I'm thinking? There's a problem with man's ego. What do you think? I'm thinking maybe. So when you go through this text, you've got to ask yourself at different points of time, is Paul referring to a counterfeit or is Paul referring to the wrong use of a true gift? And I believe that that's part of why you see tongue, singular, and tongues, plural. Because languages are many. Ecstatic babble is one. Okay? People being selfish, it is hard for them to understand that their gift are for others. Chapter 12, verse 7 says, Each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The manifestation of the Spirit, the Spirit moving in the people is for who? The church. And I look at the church today and how many people are exercising their gift for who? I mean, most of the church growth stuff that is out there today is how to have an organizational system so that you can draw more people in so that the people can support the organizational system. Okay, what I mean by that, this is how it will sound. If I can get all of you guys to give enough money, I can hire ministers. And as I get all these ministers, then we can minister to you. Okay, one flaw with that. It's not biblical. If you're saved, you have a ministry. If you are saved, you have a manifestation of the spirit of the living God that is for our good. It's for our good. What was killing the church in Corinth? 
selfishness. They had the gifts. They were lacking none. Lacking none. If you look at, if you talk to some of the charismatic brethren these days, they will tell you that, you know what, there is a difference between the gift you see in Acts chapter 2 and the gift that you see in 1 Corinthians 14. And I said, yeah, there is. Absolutely. Their error comes on what they try to describe in chapter 14. They try to describe that the gift of tongues in chapter 14 is this private devotional time that you can have with God. They will agree absolutely and emphatically in Acts chapter 2, those were real languages, the ability to speak real languages. But this is mysteries. It is to edify you. And yet Paul tells us that you don't get any benefit out of it. The terms are the same in 1 Corinthians 14 and in Acts 2. There's no change. If God was trying to say this is a private devotional language, he would have used the term private devotional language. He wouldn't have said, no, they're speaking in a language. Listen, I I, want to be real specific here. Please, I don't want you to walk out of here thinking that I've got an axe to grind against people who speak in tongues. Uh, There was a lady, um, actually it was my uh, stepdad's sister, who had her own private prayer language. And when we got together, if I was at my mom's house, we got together to pray. She would go off into this gibberish. And (laughs) I asked her what she said. Well, I don't know. You don't know what you said? No. Then what good is it? I mean, if I'm praying for something... And I'm saying it in something I don't understand. When will I know if it's been answered? When I don't even have a clue what I asked for. And that's what I asked her. I mean, you're praying something that you don't know what you're praying. So you don't even know if you've ever got it. And he doesn't say, just pray. And I'll just do whatever I want to do and we'll see if we all hit it together. I don't understand that. Well, you're being divisive. Divisive? I'm asking you to think. Well, isn't it true? God doesn't sit there and say, I'm going to do mysteries and you'll never know. He don't do that. If he did that, why do we have the Bible? I have the Bible so I know who he is. What is he doing? That I walk worthy, that I hear him, I see him, and I manifest the spirit for the common good. But I see people who want to use this that my devotions are more spiritual than your devotions. And then you ask him a simple question. What are you devoted to? What are you saying? Won't know. Well, perfect. Perfect. Listen, the Corinthians could never have been manifesting the true gift in the state in which they existed. All right? Let me show you something. I want you to just, here we go. I want you to think with me. Okay? I want you to try this on. Okay? Just, just think for a second. All right? Can a group of Christians who are worldly, divisive, opinionated, cliquish, carnal, fleshly, envious, argumentative, puffed up, self-glorying, immoral, compromising with sin, 
defrauding each other, depriving in marriage, offending weaker Christians, lusting after evil things, idolatrous, fellowshipping with demons, insubordinate, gluttonous, drunken, selfish towards the poor, discrediting the Lord's table, be expressing a true gift of the Holy Spirit. That was the Corinthians. And I was just quick. I mean, I just went through what we've gone through and says, could you be manifesting the Holy Spirit? No. (laughs) You don't even know how to spell Holy Spirit. Listen, the believer either walks in the spirit or the believer walks in the flesh. If they're walking in the flesh, what will they manifest? They'll look just like lost people. If they're walking in the spirit, what will they manifest? Christ. Listen, if you walk in the flesh, you're not manifesting any true gift of Christ. Or the Spirit. And you definitely are not doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is a huge difference. Huge difference. Okay? So you come to chapter 14, you cannot conclude what you have here is a true gift. It has violated every basic truth about spirituality. How the gifts operate. I mean, in the the first 13 chapters is to correct the Corinthian assembly. It is how to fix the church. It ain't how to be church. It is you guys have got this thing so crooked. I've got to fix it. There's a big difference. There was serious error. And you know what? We can use, and I, I agree, society had influenced the church. The church was not influencing society. One thing, listen, that we can be absolutely sure about is that the Corinthians were carnal. Okay? And that the true gift was speaking a true language. We can be absolutely positive about those two truths. In verse chapter 14, verse 26, it says at the end of it, let all things be done for what? Edification. What would all things be? That would be all things. Chapter 4. Chapter 4 says, people who speak in this gibberish, okay, what? They edify self. He's already hammered that one in chapter 13, verse 5. Do not seek your own. All right? Chapter 5. Prophesy more. Why? So that the church may receive what? Edifying. Chapter 14, verse 12. Be zealous for the spiritual things. Why? For the edification of the church. I'm seeing a pattern. I'm seeing a pattern. Basically what is being said here, you're, you're not strengthening the church. You're not strengthening each other. Listen, the best gift he's already given to us, he says the best gift is for the whole congregation. The gift of tongues is not for the whole. Therefore, it is a secondary gift. Okay. If you look at verse 1, there's one thing that I can remember, and I can remember this very clearly. Pursue love, okay, and he's already described love. Yet, as you're pursuing love, desire earnestly spiritual gifts. But especially what? Prophesy. Okay, now prophesy doesn't mean I'm going to tell the future. 
Okay, I'm going to keep reminding you. Prophesy, prophetes, before speak. That's prophecy. It wasn't until the 1300s that did we start getting fortune telling into it. All right, so I can look at verse 1 and say, he's not dealing with an individual Christian seeking an individual gift. He is saying, I want the assembly. I would prefer that the whole assembly does what? Speaks. Now listen, I, the, I think one of the keys that we get into trouble that you see problems with here is that we miss the context of chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14. Can I, remember the ones I just said? See, a lot of people say, well, 12, 13, and 14 are gifts. Absolutely. But 11, 12, 11 through 14... That entire section, okay, is the meeting together of the assembly of the Corinthian believers. All right? And it, it, it none of it, none of those ver- chapters, none of those verses in those chapters has anything to do with your private time, your individual time, or your own quiet time. It is corporate worship. When the church comes together, listen, it starts out in chapter 11. How are women to behave when the assembly comes together? And I talk about individuals. When you come together as a body of believers, how are the women to behave? How do you use and how do you regard the Lord's table? When is that? When the assembly comes together. How about your love feast or potlucks? How are you supposed to be when that all comes together? That's all in chapter 11. Chapter 12. How do you minister your gifts when the body comes together? You have corporate worship. How do you minister your gifts? Chapter 13. How do you manifest love when the assembly has come together? Chapter 14. How do I use the gift of languages when we meet together? So 11 through 14 is the church thing. It's not an individual thing. And people who try to take 14 and say, well, this is my individual time of devotional something, has completely dropped what the text teaches. You take 14 out and you want to relate it to, a, to your own private prayer language or your own private devotional language, uh, you have to take it completely out of the context of what the letter was written. It is the meeting of the assembly. It is what church looks like. You seek that you may see prophecy manifest. A good church should have an emphasis on what? Prophecy. Why? In you prophesy, you are affecting the mind. It should be an overwhelming desire for a Christian to hear the truth of God preached. There should be nothing else. If nobody ever said nothing but they preached the word, that should be the overwhelming thing. And that's what he's getting at. Seek. Pursue earnestly. What? Prophecy. Paul told the Thessalonians, don't despise prophecy why that's where you're going to be strengthened that's where you will be built up that's where you are edified chapter 10 we've already looked at this stuff 23 and 24 all things are lawful but not all things are profitable all things are lawful but not all things edify Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. And you're telling me that in chapter 14, he says, go get your own private prayer language. He ain't not trying to stir these people to being selfish. He's trying to break them of it. Okay, now listen, I'm going to jump back into our text. By the way, that was just introduction. (laughs) I was like, gee, many crickets. Verse 6, now brethren, if I come to you speaking in, it's plural, 
multiple languages. What will it profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation? Okay, I'm going to reveal something in your language. Or of knowledge. Okay, I'm going to teach you something that you did not know in your language. Or of prophecy or of teaching. All right? See, I see people who believe that there's a spiritual elitism. I see people who do it. I have seen churches who says, we're looking for a pastor, but he has, must have his doctorate. You know what you just did? Disqualified Christ from being your pastor. Christ didn't have a doctorate. Neither did Paul. What'd you just do? You're just saying that unless you have what? Listen, if the man isn't called of God, I don't want him. I don't care what he does. Paul says, if I come to you and I use the true gift, it wouldn't mean anything to you because you guys speak Greek. I come in here speaking Hebrew. It's not going to have any effect on you whatsoever. That's basically what he says. He says, I speak languages more than all of you. He says, but if I don't come speaking your language, what good is it going to do you? None. Absolutely none. Okay. Look what verse seven says. Yet even lifeless things. It's literally in the Greek. It means soulless. Has no soul. Okay. Listen, basically what he so it's just, this is this is why I love Paul. This here has got dripping sarcasm. I like sarcasm sometimes. My wife doesn't. That's why we're together. Yet even lifeless things, either a flute or a harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played? On the flute or on the harp? You know what's amazing? We have two good piano players in the church. My wife and Austina. Do you know what's amazing about those two? I can play the same notes they play. But how come nobody wants me to do it? The notes don't change. Right? They're all the same. Lostina plays it or Paige plays it. It sounds wonderful. I can go up and play the same notes. And guess what? It don't sound wonderful. Right? I can hit the same notes. And the sound alone, and then you think about it, that beautiful instrument, it will mean absolutely nothing. It will mean absolutely nothing. Unless there is significant variation in the tones and the notes so that there's a melody that the people can understand. And that's what the Apostle Paul uses as an illustration here. He says, the gift of tongues cannot be understood. You come in here and start speaking some language that nobody knows. It is of absolutely no benefit. No benefit. What he's saying is there is no benefit. There's no ability to strengthen anything with the gift of tongues. Tongues doesn't work. It is no different than somebody coming up and grabbing a flute and just start blowing on it. What is it? Eh, that's high piercing sound is what it is. When you hear someone speak, there is an understood variations in tone and it connects and it communicates meaning. He said even the lifeless things, if they're not used correctly, what benefit is it? What benefit is it? Then he uses another illustration. Verse 8. For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, 
Who will prepare himself for battle? It literally means the trumpet guy. We're getting ready to go to war. It's, and you, there's tones. There, if, if you, there's an attack. There is a, a reconnoiter to reform back here. There is a move to the left. There's a move to the right. Uh, if you go through and study Civil War history, you'll find out that the bugler was the single most important guy on the battlefield. Because he was taking the commands and whatever tones he played would either mean you flank right, you flank left, you charge, you retreat, you regroup, you stay put, you fire, you cease fire or whatever. And you listen to the bugler for it. Now listen, if you've got an incompetent bugler, what do you got? Chaos. Nobody knows what's going on. And that's what he says next. If the guy prepares for battle and he blows it, I don't care if he's the loudest bugler in the world. If he doesn't make the right tones, you got nothing. You've got nothing. The whole military has no idea what to do. And that's just basically what Paul says here. The bugle produces a distinct sound. Who will prepare himself for battle? If he ain't playing it right, what are you guys doing? I mean, how would you like to have the military getting ready to line up? There's one side. Here's one side. We're ready. And the guy starts playing taps. Dude, what does that mean? I think we've been whooped. Verse 9. So also you. Did you see that? So also you. Unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? Will you be doing what? It literally means just blowing air. You'll be speaking into the air. What does that do? What did that accomplish? Nothing. It's only air. See, the use of the true gift only when it's interpreted or somebody there understands that language, it has no benefit. No benefit. The bugle, he used the military term. If you got a bugle or he ain't got it figured out, you're in a trouble. And that's what he's trying to get at. You can have this elegant harp. Have, have you ever seen one of them big harps? The great big ones? There's a lady at SGA who plays one. And I mean, it's, it's got way too many strings on it. Okay? And yet, you can listen to her get ready and kind of boing, 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 boing. And you're like, yeah. All right, and then all of a sudden she starts playing. And then all of a sudden you start hearing songs that you can hear. Uh, How great thou art. Um, Come thou fount of every blessing. You start listening to this and you start saying, wow, that's cool. You know what? I can play the same note she does, but I bet you, you would never hear, come that fountain of every blessing. You'd be saying, well, I don't know where the blessings are. See, listen, the text here, beginning in verse 11 through 14, Paul is trying to get these believers to recognize and to realize that the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit are to proclaim the gospel to the unsaved and to teach the truth to the saved. Anything other than that, you are an incompetent bugler and you're going to accomplish nothing. Accomplish nothing. He's trying to break down a barrier. There's a barrier that exists in Christendom and I see it today. And it is, one is ignorance. I do not want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Another one is what I call emotion. We believe that God moves on emotional. Now listen, he will move on your emotions. I don't, I don't ever downplay that. But if you think to be in his presence is emotional, then here's the emotion you need to be looking at. Scared out of your wits. Because every time I see people get in the presence of God, they're chicken. Whether it's on Mount Sinai, whether it is uh, Isaiah receiving the hot coal on the lips, whether it was John on the island of Patmos, whatever it was, uh-oh, when the boys were in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and the waves were crashing over the front of the boat and Jesus was up front taking a nap and he says, we're going to drown, we're going to die and you don't care, you're up there snoozing. 
And he stands up and says, be still. And the water went flat. It says they became extremely afraid. We got God in our boat. I'm getting out. Okay. And I don't see that. We want some kind of liver quiver. We want the hair to stand up. And I got news for you. Every time I see God make an appearance, hair does more than just stands up. There's a common phrase that you see all around it, and it starts with this. Whoa. When you go into the presence of God, you'd better be going in there going, whoa. And everybody says, well, when you see Jesus, what are you going to do? Same as the rest. Whoa. I'm hitting the ground. I'm hitting the ground. Well, but it, I don't care. I guarantee you, I'm going to hit the ground. And it may take me my first thousand years in heaven to get my forehead up off the ground. Why? That's emotion. That's emotion. But then there's that other side. There's a thing here that I see in Christendom today. And I call it superstition. Superstition. We're superstitious. Oh, if I partake of the Lord's table and you know, I had an evil thought and I fall over dead. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Don't worry about it. But we are, I see people who are superstitious about the things of God. Why do we keep saying these certain prayers over and over again? Why? Well, because if you say it this way, you know, I remember somebody made a statement one time if, if you don't end your prayer in Christ's name, it's like mailing a letter without a stamp. That's what he said. What? No, in Christ's name means in all that he is, he wants this. Sure would narrow our prayers down, wouldn't it? They don't get as much verbiage in it. Why? Because I can say in Christ's name, because I know emphatically this is what Jesus wants. Okay? But there are people who are superstitious. Well, you got to put in Christ's name on it. Or you got to do it this way. You got to do that. Why? Well, we're superstitious. We're no different than the Corinthians. Corinthians were running on ignorance. The Corinthians were running on emotion. And the Corinthians were running on superstition. And he says, you know what? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? I mean, I don't know how you read that verse in this chapter and get some devotional prayer thing out of it. That don't seem that confusing to me. For you be speaking in air. You know what that means? Poof. Uh, like Charlie Brown's teacher. Do you guys ever see Charlie Brown? And I see people, I'm spiritual. You sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Look what he says next, verse 10. There are perhaps, and, and it's, it's, in the New American Standard, it's translated language. There are many kinds of languages, and it literally means voices. There are many kinds of voices in the world. Okay? And then he makes this statement. They all have meaning. So when you have, are sitting and doing some kind of ecstatic babble with no meaning, then what are you doing? You ain't doing nothing. You ain't doing nothing. If, now watch what he says. Now you roll that thought right there because he says, all the voices that are out there, they all have some meaning. Okay? If then, I do not know the meaning of the language, I will speak. Be to the one who speaks, what? A barbarian. A barbarian in the culture of this letter is a foreigner, anyone who does not speak Greek. And it's literally, the root word is barbar. And it's onomatopoeic. Barbar. A guy sits around going, bar, 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 bar. What'd he say? I don't know. And that's what he's saying. If you did not speak the Greek language to me, you are a barbarian. You are a foreigner. I have no idea what you're saying. And that you have no point. So you just sit around and bar, 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 bar. 
Sounds like our kids, doesn't it? We want our kids to talk, and then they they talk, and this guy wishes to shut up. Listen. Verse 23 says this, If the whole church assembles together, see what we're talking about here? And all speak in tongues, and an ungifted man or unbeliever enters, what will they say? You're mad. I didn't write that. You get a bunch of people sitting around in their own little prayer gibberish. What do you think? Or like they did at Pentecost. They're all drunk. Or maybe they're all drunk and mad. Ain't nothing worse than a drunk madman. Basically what the Apostle Paul is saying, everything, in that verse 10, everything has meaning except what you're doing. And what you're doing has no meaning. You might as well be a barbarian. And I'd be a barbarian to you. Verse 12. So also, you since you are zealous for spiritual gifts. Listen, there is a huge move to be zealous for spiritual gifts. I have got no problem with that whatsoever. I think that's a great idea. That's one of the greatest ideas I've ever heard. I think we all had zeal for spiritual gifts. Zeals for the empowering of the spirit of the living God for the work of ministry. Perfect. That sounds great to me. But then he says this. Seek to abound for the edification of the church. You want to have spiritual gifts? Great. You want to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit? Great. He was there at the creation. He was there at the maintaining and sustaining of existence. I think that's a good source of energy. Okay? I think it's a great idea. Then it's easy to spot. What is it? Edification of the church. Listen, I'll make this as simple as I can. I watch people go through and they say, well, I don't know if I have the gift of administrations or the gift of, of this or the gift of t- teaching. I don't know what my gifts are. It's easy. Your gift is for the edification of the saints, whatever it is. You will do it in the power of he who spoke existence into being. That would be the power source. That's a pretty serious power source there. And it will have one focus. Strengthening of the saints. Strengthening of the saints. Whatever the gift is. I basically look at you, either got serving gifts or speaking gifts. And then, a, you know, a serving gift is a speaking gift sometimes. But you will do it in a power source that is not your own. It will not be a talent. Please understand that. I've already, we, you'll have to go back and get the tapes on chapter 12 or CDs or whatever it is we do now. It ain't a talent. That's not what I'm talking about. There are people who are talented. But it will be a supernatural ability given to you by God for one purpose. Making Christians stronger. I think that's a good idea. So since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. See, listen, what about the lost people? Oh, I ain't worried about lost people. God said he's got that thing figured out. It is our responsibility to present every man complete in Christ. Perfect. Why? Because then the lost people say, well, I want that. I watched the church look like a crippled old something or other. And the lost says, I don't want no part of that. When the church starts taking care of its own, then the lost will be drawn because they're going to say, look how they love one another. That's how it works. It ain't standing around handing out tracts or street preaching. You and I should be so consumed with trying to strengthen each other That lost people are going to be attracted by what you're doing. And they want to be 
part of it. That's the church. See, prophecy is for the whole. Tongues is not. Tongues can't be understood. Even if you take a soulless thing and you don't play it right, it's just noisy. Next week, we'll show, I'll show you that tongues are emotional. And God wants our minds. And He will strengthen you through your mind. Father, I praise You for Your Word. I praise You for the amazing things You do. Lord, let us in the love that You show us in chapter 13 share truth in love. And yet, Father, as I look at the body of Christ today, she's hurting. And Father, I see the Corinthian church flourishing alive and well. Father, let us, beginning with me, understand that we are here for the edification of saints, to strengthen them for the battle that is before us. And Father, may we, in the power that spoke existence into being, operate to the manifestation of Jesus Christ individually and collectively as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, your precious church. Father, thank you. Thank you for the amazing things you have already done. Thank you for your faithfulness when we are faithless. Father, thank you that you've given us your word, you've given us your spirit, and you've given us this, this precious treasure, your church. Lord, help us. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, but help us to walk in the unity of sound words to your glory, to your praise. In Christ's name, amen.